Hi, Jim here. Thanks for listening to this past episode of the Ski Podcast. Since releasing this podcast, we have a new supporter of the show. The Ski Podcast is now supported by Switzerland Tourism. They will be helping us explore some of the 355 ski destinations across the country, from famous names of Samaritz, Lax, Davos and Zermatt, to the lesser-known resorts that cover their mountainous land. We will be reporting on them and telling interesting stories about the people who live and work there. In total, there are 7,067 kilometres of slopes to ski and 1,800 lifts to ride and at least 80 of them are funiculars, which is good because I do love a good funicular. Well, there's a lot to do, so while we get on with that, you can get on with listening to this episode of the Ski Podcast. Thanks, listener, and thanks, Switzerland Tourism. Welcome to the Knowledge is Powder podcast. I am Jim Duncombe and as always I am joined by Ian Martin. Coming up in this podcast, Ian will be wondering if the British Olympic Association is trying to mislead and manipulate Team GB's results. We talk to instructor Dave Burrows to work out what we're all doing wrong with our technique and I will be reporting from the Three Valleys. Now if you're wondering if this podcast is any good, just listen to these reviews. What have we got Ian? Uh, well, we tend to get uh, um, quite a few reviews coming in on a regular basis. Some of them are on uh, SoundCloud, but the, the easiest ones to uh, to kind of track down are on iTunes, where we've got 16 five-star reviews, uh, uh, oh, sorry, 13 five-star reviews and three four-stars. I'll get them uh, later. I've read out a few uh, of them before, but um, one of the ones that came in uh, fairly recently was... Um, a Gustavo BS, which will just think we probably better just call him a Gustavo. Love to hear it. A mix of interesting and useful information in a natural narrative. Keep going, guys. Well, hi, Gustav. Welcome to the podcast. Um, I can't, this guy just got a load of letters that don't really make any sense as a name. Uh, but he says, whisks me away from the day job. Fun, informative and fits perfectly into my Monday morning commute. And I think that's probably the ideal time to listen to uh, the podcast, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. If I didn't work from home, I'd listen to it on my Monday morning commute. <laughs> yeah, me as well. <laughs> um, so, Ian, it's been um, it's been snowing in the UK recently. What did you do to uh, make the most of it? Uh, I did get a sledge that we bought about five years ago. And uh, thought, oh, you know what? Next time it snows, we'll use this sledge that we've invested loads into it just sat in the shed for uh, for years because we haven't had any snow in brighton since then and actually got it out but the kids weren't really interested in using it but we did have a big snowball fight in the garden That's and the kids skipped off school a little bit as well what was it like down your way yeah we had a good amount of snow and we had two back-to-back snow days um, the sledges sold out pretty quickly so i got an old snowboard and i cut it in half and made an uber sledge with like a bread basket on top of it. It was uh, it was an amazing machine. I'm very proud of it. Okay, I'm still trying to visualise that. You, so you cut a, a snowboard in half. You must Down have had a, hack, to... a hacksaw to get through the the um, the edges. Uh, hacksaw. I'd have been there for quite some time. I'm pretty rubbish at sawing. Uh, yeah, so I had a jigsaw. I cut right down the middle. Um, so I essentially made two skis out of it and uh, turned it into a sledge. Ah, down the middle. Okay. And then, so you put a bread basket on it? Yeah, you know, like um, a delivery bread basket. Right. I'll, I'll tweet a picture of it later on. Okay. okay. Uh, Ian, do you remember the other day we were talking about um, hand straps in the ski poles? Yes. So I did a Twitter poll and the result yeah. was 
that 63% um, people do put their hands in the straps and seven, uh, 37% are on my side and didn't put it in their straps at all. Right, interesting. I, I was skiing last weekend and I did a anecdotal poll which produced similar results. But I can tell you that Graham Bell, who I was skiing with last weekend, did not have his hands in his hand straps. Well, when I speak to Dave later on, um, the ski instructor, he's going to be talking about that. He's got some very interesting information, so stay tuned um, about that. Knowledge is powder, because being a skier is 1% riding and 99% talking about it. To get in touch with the show, tweet at The Ski Podcast or email theskipodcast at gmail.com. So I think uh, probably we all know by now that uh, that Great Britain uh, took a record haul of medals from Pyeongchang 2018 with five medals. That's the most uh, Britain have ever won in a Winter Olympics. And that is, you know, that's very exciting news. Um, I think, you know, it's important that we consider what the cost was for that, because, you know, there was a cost of £28 million and, you know, that money could be used uh uh, elsewhere and you know there were some sports such as um you know bobsleigh five million pounds went into bobsleigh uh you know just over a million went into figure skating and you know there are a lot of people with an interest in those numbers going up and i think for skiing and snowboarding you know their target was two medals and we got two medals and we, if Katie Ormrod hadn't have been injured, then, you know, it could well have been more than that. Plus, James Woods uh, got a fourth in the uh, men's slope style and Katie Tamahay's got a seventh in the uh, in the women's slope style. So I think there's a, you know, there's a genuine argument that um, for the park and pipe guys, you know, they should actually be getting more money. But what I have noticed is that, you know, the people who are involved in the administration will really, it's almost like they'll sort of manipulate the figures to try and uh, increase their chances of UK sport uh, and the media um, giving them what they want. Uh, I don't know if you've seen any of this, Jim. Have you seen that at all? Yeah, I've seen them. Um, is there a sports uh, report from Bill, uh, Bill Sweeney, is it? Yeah, well, Bill Sweeney's the CEO of the British Olympic Association. And he was quoted in the press just after the game saying, oh, I read that we have something like 8 million skiers and snowboarders uh, doing it on an annual basis. Now, I wondered if you'd ever seen that in any reports at all. Um, I've never seen it than 8 million. Number, Anything close afraid, to that? I think that is um, 2 million. That's where I'm going. Yeah, 2 million. There was a report by Ski Weekends last year that sized the market as between 1.4 and 1.7 million. And back in the day when Crystal uh, Ski, which is only about, I think they stopped doing it about um, four years ago. Uh, Crystal... Is that why I'm still waiting for it? Sorry? Is that why I'm still waiting to <laughs> stop doing the yeah, ski report? You, you missed that one. The ski club, uh, oh. Crystal, Crystal Ski used to do an industry report every year where they generally went for around a million. The Ski Club of Great Britain also used to do a report where they, um, you know, largely took their figures from Crystal and pointed around a million. So you know, Bill Sweeney's saying, oh, we've got eight million skiers and snowboarders. And I just wondered where he got that number from. So I contacted the BOA uh, and, you know, they weren't able to give me an answer for that. Someone else who is an anonymous source suggested to me that he misheard a comment on the TV 
by Chemi Alcott, who said that uh, she thought the market was four million. Um, but you know, maybe Bill Sweeney's just making a you know her mistake there. But um, you know, maybe he's just coming up with some numbers that that suit uh, him. And I guess you know UK Sport will look at it properly. But you know, their primary goal UK Sport with funding is they fund um, sports that are likely to win medals. And then secondly, you know, they're interested in increased participation. So suggesting that there are eight times or between four and eight times as many people taking part in skiing is, is going to be a factor there. Uh, and then yeah, also to be an excellent result. Uh, well, you know, uh, well, you know, I, it's in my interest, the more people who go skiing, the better. I mean, you know, I work in marketing in the ski industry and the more people who go skiing, uh, the happier the the tour operators and the people who sell retail, et cetera, are. You know, I want I want more people to go skiing, but equally, I think we need to kind of represent things uh, accurately. And you know, uh, Dan Hunt, who's in charge of British Ski and Snowboard, he's a performance director. You know, he's done a fantastic job. You know, they've done so well. I mentioned you know two medals, a fourth, a seventh, and that's excluding Katie Ormerod. Um, but they're all park and pipe guys. And in fact, all of the funding, all of the five million uh, that they got went into park and pipe. So Dave Riding, uh, Laurie Taylor um, and uh, the others, they didn't get any official funding. But he mentioned that in, in Pyeongchang, uh, he was quoted as saying we had a top five and two top tens. Now, I get what he's trying to do there. He's trying to kind of, you know, make it clear that there's middle potential because that's where the money goes, middle potential. And if you think you've got, you know, top five and two top tens, then you've got medal potential there. But that top five that he's talking about, do you, do you remember any British skiers uh, getting top five in Alpine um, events? I can't seem to think of a single one again. Can, can you remember where Dave Riding came, came in his race? Yeah, he came ninth because eighth was the best ever by Martin uh, Bell. Uh, but the, what happened was we had a team slalom uh, event and uh, Great Britain actually managed to beat the US in the first round. So we qualified for the quarterfinals and we were knocked out in the quarterfinals. So he, by his um, rationale, we were therefore equal fifth by getting knocked out in the okay. quarterfinals. So that's our top five. And then it says two other top tens. Well, one was Dave Riding and actually contacted Team BSS and British Ski and Snowboard, and uh, they explained it by saying, well, the fifth place was Team GB coming equal fifth, and the two top tens were Dave Riding being ninth and the equal fifth. So I don't know if that makes sense, but uh, you can have a look at my blog post on the Skipedia. It's, you know, essentially it just feels like, you know, it's just misrepresenting the, the facts. And it's just oh, I think they're missing a trick in. How many people's in the this team slalom? Well, they could have had another four, four top 10 finishes there. <laughs> right, I see you mean. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that could work. That could work. So, you know, I, I, I definitely think that uh, the, the skiers and snowboarders uh should be getting more money and people like bobsleigh we should do what norm norway do and just not spend any money on bobsleigh you know norway came top of the medals table but they don't spend any money on bobsleigh or skeleton because it's well, so think, expensive obviously we should spend all i'm, I'm kind of <laughs> agree with you but i think for a different reason that um we should look at it uh, initial particip uh, participation rate so you know there's two million people participate in participate in skiing and snowboarding 
um, and we spent five million on it, which makes it two pounds fifty per person. You know, who might like that? <laughs> right. But skeleton, only six hundred, around six hundred people. That's the UK participation rate. That's how many people get involved in it. I thought I thought it was even less than that. I thought it was one hundred and sixty. They're getting six point, but, but go on. They're getting six point five is. million pounds to to do that which yeah. you know that works out as eleven thousand pounds per person who's interested in doing skeleton <laughs> and i i just don't think eleven thousand for every every person eleven eleven it's worth taking I mean, it a lot of that must go into those <laughs> it's worth taking up because surely they they kind of must pour champagne down the course or that's, that's like what that. the courses are made of frozen champagne <laughs> yeah yeah, um, I mean, there is no course. There's no skeleton course in the UK. There's just that little um, training a, um, track for sprint starts in Bristol, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But so I like that. £2.50 per um, participant, um, active participant in skiing, and 11000 per active participant in skeleton. But skeleton won three medals. Yeah, but no one's going to go and do it. No one watches skeleton and goes, I'm going to go and do that. People watch skiing and snowboarding and go, I'll go and do it. So the goal is to get people to participate. Yeah, but you know, you can make a good movie for six point five million pounds. I enjoy watching that. You could. I mean, you could do many things. <laughs> you could actually, you know, in in invest in um, local sports facilities that people could use on a regular yeah, or basis. Or employ, I don't know, twenty Bill Sweeney's a year. <laughs> yeah. It's, Two hundred seventy-nine thousand. Is that what it is? Twenty Bill Sweeney. Just guessing. I haven't done the math on that. I just popped into my head. Yeah, there's a school that I run past, um, and they're currently digging up um, a couple of their football pitches. And you know, I don't know what they're going to build on there. You know, maybe they're going to build more school buildings or something like that. Maybe they're going to convert them to residential. But the fact is that they're digging them up, and you know, they're not going to be able to play sport on them anymore. You know, the money could go. Uh, towards things like that so i'm not saying that it's not there's not a value but i think you've always got to look at what you could do with that money instead and and uh, you know it needs to be a fair argument with the fact i am joined by dave burrows the director of snow pro ski school a mobile ski school based in the swiss part of the port de soleil ski area he is an international and Basie qualified ski instructor and holds a plethora of other snow sports qualifications and has written a dissertation, Learning Phases of Children's Ski Development. Welcome to the podcast, Dave. Thank you very much. Um, that's a great bio that you've given me there. My pleasure, Dave. Um, Dave is here to help us, and by that I mean all of us. Um, he's here to identify what skiers get wrong, common mistakes we all make, and how to correct them. Dave, you've never seen me ski, but can you tell me what I'm doing wrong? I would suspect, and it might not be your fault, but I'm going to go with um, that probably by lunchtime and maybe the earlier part of the afternoon, your thighs hurt. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Your thighs hurt probably because you're leaning too far back. Now, that is, it's very easy for us as ski instructors to say um, you're leaning too far back, you need to lean forward. It's probably... You know, for all of the people that are listening to the podcast, it's the number one thing. If they're taking a ski lesson, their ski instructor will say, oh, you've got to lean forward, put your hands forward or something like that. Now, it could be, it could be an equipment issue. 
So this is the number one thing that I, you know, the first thing that I'll look at if someone is, is sort of leaning back and I had a client recently, exactly the, this problem couldn't get forward and it turned out it was a boot issue. The actual, the cuff of the boot was leave, le not allowing him to flex his ankles forward. So you can say to that guy as much as you want, you've got to lean forward, you've got to get forward, you've got to get forward. But actually what we're talking about when ski instructors say that, get forward, what they actually mean is can you stand above the middle of your ski can you get um can you get balanced above the middle of the ski there's a sweet spot underneath the ski where the ski rotates really really well and if you can't balance above that point at the top of your turn then you're never going to be able to make a parallel turn or you're never going to be able to make a, you know one quality turn after another um so that is 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 the number one thing that we see um when we're starting out as a beginner how what is the hardest part for them to learn and how do they get past that i mean is it the same as leaning back is that the hardest part it kind of is because a lot of skiing is is counterintuitive so so you know you want to lean forward when naturally if you were walking down a hill without skis on you'd be leaning backwards right you wouldn't you, you don't lean forward to walk down a hill so why would you lean forward if you're sliding down a hill you know, so a lot of skiing is backwards. You lean out when you're supposed to lean in, uh, or when you you know your body is telling you to lean into the mountain. We actually want you to lean out to balance towards the outside. Um, so a lot of that initial stuff with beginners is is getting them used to kind of how everything is a little bit backwards and and the fear actually, especially with adult beginners, is that this sort of fear of sliding away, sliding out of control, and sliding you know off down the hill. Um, so, you know, one of the hardest things to learn, I'd say, is, is probably, you know, how counterintuitive skiing is sometimes. Um, things like turning to control speed, that, that kind of thing is, is, these are all difficult concepts. But if you've got a, any instructor worth their sort, will, will, will take the clients to the appropriate terrain. So you'll start somewhere really, really flat do all the basic stuff and then gradually, hopefully the resort that they're in will have a sort of graduated set of, of beginner slopes so that you can build up confidence, you know, uh, slowly. So I'm at the intermediate stage. That's where I'm going to put myself. Um, other than the, the classic thinking I'm better than I am, I don't need to go to a ski instructor. What What's that intermediate stage? What does everyone need to do? What are people are doing wrong? What do they need to do right to progress? I think this is a a great question. So well, I did hear, by the way, your last uh, your last episode, and so the number one thing that I would do with you is teach you how to put your ski pole straps on properly. <laughs> All right, I, you know, I'm I'm checking up on you, and uh, I listen to that, and and they're not just there, you know, for you to uh, just have flapping around wildly. They actually do serve a purpose. So when you, well, you see Dave correct, earlier in the earlier in this episode, which you didn't listen to, um, I revealed the results of our Twitter poll, and it was. Um, 63% of people do, and then 37% of people do not put their straps on. Well, it might be because they don't actually know what the purpose of the straps are for. So, so, if you, so if you put the ski pole strap on properly, as in you put your hand up through the loop and then you grip down on the top of the straps with your forefinger and your thumb, if you then, what you do is when you put the pole down into the ground, it creates a very secure connection with, with the pole. So it allows you to pole along better, and it also allows you a much better connection with your your with the with the pole when it hits the snow when you're pole planting before you turn. So there is a purpose to them. It's just not many people know what the the purpose of them is. 
Well, I, I, I feel I feel corrected. I'm glad something so trivial <laughs> yeah. has turned out into something quite serious, and I, no, I well, will, yeah. I'm going to yeah. change my ways from now on. No, well, look, there's a couple of other points I think is really important for intermediates, especially because often when intermediates come to us, they they're essentially self-taught. I think that's this is the biggest thing about intermediate skiers is that they're essentially self-taught. They don't really generally, you know, they might have had some tuition when they were younger, but when they get, uh, you know, they, they've taught themselves along. So they don't have, you know, they might have learned to ski as a kid, but they don't have this sort of understanding of how physically how to make a ski turn. And that's what a lot of the stuff that we do with intermediates is kind of explain the tech, explain why things work. Um, and that's probably the number one reason, you know, why they might go to a ski instructor for sure, is to kind of fill in that knowledge gap between what they learned when they were, you know, really young kid and what they've kind of things, the tips that they picked up from their friends and stuff as they've gone along. Um, this is, this is, you know, often the problem that we have with intermediates is that they don't have, they don't have that knowledge. And it's quite, uh, it's quite important. A third thing I would oh sorry can I just you know, yeah I was going to say with the with the other intermediate with the other intermediate thing is what I would say is that, that if you're an intermediate skier and you're getting on and you're getting good at skiing is probably the next step is to buy your own boots um, that's super important because if you come each year and you hire a different set of boots and a different set of equipment each year it's going to feel different and you'll spend the whole you know the week of your holiday or whatever trying to uh, trying to get used to that new equipment whereas if you know you've got the same equipment every year it's quite a big outlay but you'll probably have those boots for you know five maybe seven years or something like that um and then you'll be able to get used to them and then you'll be able to take your skiing on to the next level so my uh, my co-host ian martin he used to do ski racing when he was growing up he's done quite a few seasons unlike me he didn't stray into snowboarding and spend five seasons doing that so he's he's a pretty good advanced skier he's just been heli skiing um he must have some bad habits. How how would he go about breaking those? How can we? What would they be doing wrong? These advanced skiers. It's it's funny that because they may. I mean, you, you without without seeing him or without seeing you know X whoever it is, Mister X uh, advanced skier, you, you couldn't say what 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 bad habits they were good because often with an advanced skier, you know, the actual picture of what they're doing is very very good. So it might be the same. It might be this sort of this knowledge gap that we were talking. But the thing, one of the things that someone said to me once on a training course a long, long time ago, which was which is very, very eye-opening, is that if you let's say you've got a minor fault in your technique, you're an advanced skier, you're a good skier, you might have made ten thousand, twenty thousand turns in that style. Now, if you were to correct that and make it better, let's say you wanted you wanted to do that. Um, you would need to make 10,000 or 20,000 turns again with your new technique just to get back to kind of a zero position, you know, get to, to really get it, really get it, get that old habit out of your system. Dave, thank you very much for coming on the show. I feel like I am already a better skier just from listening to you. Let's hope I can put it into practice. Um, we'll have you back on the show another time. Right, now it's time for some skiing from Maribel. So I'm at the top of the Sulia, as suggested. I've got up as early as possible, not quite first lifts, to go down the Kumsulia into Courchevel. Now the idea is to hit this run while it's still groomed. I'm just at the top of the run, and as always the entrance, the two drop-ins, always a little bit 
difficult to go down. So I'll take it easy. There always tends to be a few people in the way. I think I'm ready. Big white carving turns. I'm just under the cool white way to start the day. That is the sound of me skiing. More of that will be coming later. Uh, to find out what I'm doing, is me on a chairlift. I am in Maribel. I come to the heart of the Three Valleys to discover exactly why people love it so much. The Three Valleys is the home of three of the most recognisable ski resorts in the world, Courchevel, Maribel and Val Torrens. It is in fact comprised of eight linked ski resorts that make it the biggest area in the world with around 600 kilometres of pieces. But you knew that already. A six day lift pass will set you back £235, but when you consider how much skiing you get for your money, it's very good value. Oh, what a way to start the morning. Absolutely superb. Now, I've visited the Three Valleys most years since 2001, and like Ian, I did a few seasons there as well. But this time I wanted to, my trip to be a bit different. I wanted to make sure I was getting the most out of the Three Valleys. So I started to ask people, what should I do to get the best Three Valleys experience? To my surprise, I got the same response time and time again. Go skiing, they said. Sure, I got a few restaurant and appraised ski recommendations, but when you start to ask people about the skiing, literally everyone has something to say about it. Oh, Le Crew. Jerusalem or Crew, yeah. 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 It's always been Crew, and then this year probably Jerusalem, because they've changed it to the blue and it's all winding, it's got loads of like rollers you can pop on. Uh, down into Maribel, probably. Lapan. To be fair, top of Salir to the bottom of Golf is the longest run you can do, and it's yeah. awesome. That was me chatting to a group of seasonaires in a cable car. So I decided to follow the advice and hit the slopes, but to make sure I wasn't heading to the same old places, I started to ask for run recommendations. I fired off some emails, asked Twitter, and sought peace suggestions in online forums. The first person to get back to me was Dion from Alpine Action. Hi Jim, it's Dion here. If you're looking for any recommendations on where to ski, can I suggest you try a couple of my favourites? There's Peace Dem, which is into Courcheval, and Mur, M-U-R, which is a really nice little black run at the bottom of the Swiss chair. There's also the fabulous Jerusalem into San Martin, and then new this season is the new black run that runs beside it called Riondas. Anyway, take care and enjoy. Bye. Naturally, I, I took her advice. Here I am on Peace Dem. Right, so for this run, I'm at the top of the Vizelle, Bubble in Courchevel. This is Peace M. Starts off in a little red, quite narrow, but there's not many people on it. Oh, the snow is delightful. A large group of people pondering the way down this run, the way down this run. Looks like it's going to be a challenge. Oh, if you like it long and steep, this is a run for you. Absolute going versus. Whoa! Big turns. Ooh. Might have pushed myself a bit too hard there. That was a run I'd never done before, which is the beauty of the Three Valleys. There is so much varied terrain to explore. I took Dion's second recommendation and tried the Moor. It turned out to be a very quiet black run that goes past the outer port of Courchevel. This is what I thought of it. Oh, yes! Oh, Ooh. more challenge than I thought. 
I did also go on to say that I think it is a very good run for anyone who wants to start black runs. It is a very quiet run and it is well maintained. By now I was starting to build quite a collection of run recommendations. So I did something I'd never done before. Plan a route on a piste map. While I do this, you want some uh, Apre ski recommendations? Here's those seasonaires I was talking to back in the cable car. Oh, LDV on a Tuesday, Bring yeah, Your Sisters. Fair play, I'll agree with that yeah. one. Bring Sisters is a band. Yeah, Bring Sisters is a band. Play on a Tuesday. You don't have to bring your sister. You don't have to bring your sister. <laughs> really. They do that for you. They yeah. do a naked bar. What about the mighty Folly Deuce? It's good fun, but not necessarily my cup of tea. It's a bit pretentious. It's slightly pricey as well for yeah. Sister. Yeah. The run the point, really good fun uh, on a nice sunny day. It's a good laugh. The Folly Deuce is great if you're on holiday. Yeah. It's like, because you're only going to go to it, uh, you know, for that week and that's it. Of the many peace suggestions I got, the Karoo on the back of the Salur came up quite a lot. So this is where I went to tick off another run. Here's a clip of me enjoying this amazing run. Um, I've just gone past the fork that goes um, either left down to 1850 um, and I'm about to go under the Cru Noir. Shall we on down to the right, which is by far, whoa, sorry sir, which is by far the best fit. Let yourself go towards the end. It starts to get a lot gentler and a lot faster. Take all that speed that you can in with it. Underneath the Cru Noir chairlift. Massive turns, yes! Coming up to the ridge. It's not too steep so you can push in through it. Oh! I love this run. It is phenomenally fast! Now, I know the recording isn't very good there. I apologise. I was just having a lot of fun. Um, I do recommend you take that run all the way down to the bottom of the Agor to free chairlift. It is so much fun. What I did from here is I went back up and got on the Cru Noir chair. The Cru Noir is a chairlift that hasn't been updated since I was a seasoner back in the early 2000s. It features a rolling carpet, lifties that aren't really that bothered, and chairlifts that whip round. And you're in the back of the leg. It's a seasoner, we used to call it the blood letter. Fortunately, this time, seems like they slowed it down a bit. Maybe they knew I was coming. Unsurprisingly, the chairlift wasn't my major problem. This is how I got on coming back down the road. Oh, little tingle of excitement. I know this is. Excuse me. I know this is a groomed run. Already down. Snow in my mouth. Tastes good. Let's focus. I think it'd be easier without your company, podcasters. My word, he suggested this. Well, I can tell you now that the person that did recommend that, that was Jason Kavanagh on Twitter. But, you know, blame the skier, not the piste. From there, my recommendations took me to the Lepra and Latania area to ski folliers and jockeys, which are far better than the commuter runs they're often known as. From there, I rode the pyramids and laws back down to Meribel before seeking out the red runs of Mont Valong and Cobrun. I was also recommended the Gelenot and Shukas, all of which I skied, annoyingly loved, and dutifully highlighted on my map. 
I mean, there are some terrible runs in this rebound, such as the Oars and the Grosjean, uh, but fortunately, I was only recommended good ones. So well done, everyone. I'll publish the full list on Facebook. To conclude, if you want to have a good time in the Three Valleys, just go skiing. Oh, and of course, there is one last run. Now, this run was recommended by literally everyone. I mean, can you believe I've never even done it? Right then, listeners, join me as we hoon down. Well, I hope it's a hoon. Jerusalem. Oh, sorry, I forgot. I was having so much fun, I forgot to talk to you. So I've done the first section. They're coming around the corner. It's wide. Oh, a few little bumpy rollers in the middle. Whoa, yeah. Here we go. Peace marker number 10. And I get a bit of air. Oh, very small. Seek really please right up. Need him back a bit there, naughty. What a run. Big right turn onto it. Nice wide straight. I am hogging this piece. The end of the run. Oh yeah. Do you know what? I think I'm going to do it again. And maybe again. You know I'll do it again. One more for luck. I don't know. Keep going all day. A huge thank you to Alpine Action who put me up that week. It was an incredible stay and I'm looking forward to going back to the Three Valleys as well. So that was my report on the Three Valleys. I had a great time. Ian, what was your favourite run in the Three Valleys? Do you have one? I know you go there quite a lot. I do go there a bit, and I did four seasons there. Three in Mirabel and one in Courcheval. So um, I guess there were a lot. I quite like hooning it down from, like, Salia all the way down to uh, 1850 or possibly 1300, if you really want to kind of test it. But, yeah, I quite like that. Salia down to 1850 in one go. It is. It's a cracking run. Um, well, that is all we have time for. Tune in next time when we will be discussing the values of indoor ski training. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining me, Ian. Take care. And don't forget, if you enjoy the podcast, don't forget to subscribe or share us, like us, send an email to your mate and tell him to tune in. Thanks very much. Rogers Powder Podcast is presented by Jim Duncan and Ian Martin. It's edited by Jim and the music is from VXF and Ben Sound.